Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Couldn't be more ready. The Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 308, a.k.a. Camera Friendly, is sponsored by Season 3 Patsy Pin. Get one now for your special patsy friend in your life pete on the pop culture podcast feed we have in the rear view mirror our review for spider-man far from home what a time at the movies it was so make sure you click on that looking ahead uh we'll still be talking jessica jones for these remaining episodes got agents of shield through uh, about the middle of august uh and then of course some san diego comic-con on our radar as well yeah, it's all coming up rather quickly. Can't wait to bring it all to you. As for right now, it's time for some surveillance. Let's see what the episode was all about. The episode is written by Scott Reynolds, writer-producer on Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, and Inhumans, and directed by Stephen Surchik, who has directed, like everything Marvel Netflix, along with The Gifted, Runaways, Umbrella Academy, Lost in Space, and more. Knock, knock, who's there? Costa, Costa, on the phone. There's foreign hair on the body in Wappinger Falls, but the precinct is pulling police to search about the new masked superhero gal. Better would be if she answered questions. Best would be if she disappears. Ring, ring. Dorothy says Trish can't answer the phone. Trish is back to slinging sweaters with a side of It's Patsy Charm. Jess goes to the shoot. Dorothy recognizes the masked Trish instantly. Why do this without more of a cat flair? The internet loves cats. Ding, ding, Salinger sends Jess an Insta-yap video saying a life will end by 7 p.m. tonight. Super doesn't mean superior. Then the video is gone. Duh, that's how Insta-yap works. And it's also not time for Trish to vigilante. Time for more promos and the wind beneath Trish's wings. Come on up, Mom. A quick change later and Trish and JJ are ready to hit the streets. Best if Trish goes as Trish, not Beanie Girl, or whatever her secret identity will be. Trish goes to the restaurant in question, digging for details. Can't she help find a missing guy? The server recognizes her from It's Patsy. He can't help this child star psycho. Cut to Costa with his husband Russell, video chatting with their forthcoming adopted daughter. But Costa needs to step away after Jessica calls and texts. She updates him and is going to see Salinger with or without him. JJ gets the update from Trish, no names yet, and meets Costa on the street. She's being way too high profile and the paparazzo is proof. Knock knock, it's Joby who's been paid to watch TV here. He's a lookalike. Jessica admits Salinger may strike, does know there's proof he killed, and Costa intuits that this could be a final screw you. Jessica waits in the apartment. We see Salinger on the street, creeping like a creeper. He gets a message via Instayap. It's JJ trashing his symbols of success, diplomas, rough sling trophies, and the like. It's all baloney, and he's full of it. Malcolm, meanwhile, is called on the carpet for his fight and non-fight with the masked Trish. The video now shows he just missed her and no fight happened at all. Silent thanks to Zaya. Jerry wants the masked woman found now. Don't defend supers and their kind. Later, Malcolm thanks Zaya for editing the footage, and he says the masked woman isn't a villain. 
They debate on working on either side of the line. Back at Alias Investigations, Jessica gets a response video from Salinger of him walking the streets. It takes her far too long to notice Black Hat Lady. It's a proxy for JJ. Time to get Zhush from Dorothy, who wants JJ to put on a little lipstick. Dorothy gives Jessica interview tips. Be friendly yourself. Don't answer tough questions except with a nice non-answer. And who's doing the interview? It's Tembi for this live interview. And we're live. JJ's after another alleged killer. Why is she involved? Maybe because she gives a shh and we're live. Gregory Salinger's a creep and an ah and we're still live. And the TV station does not support these claims. Jessica gets word out about the black-hatted woman, and Dorothy cuts the interview short by reminding people to call Alias Investigations because everyone needs a hero on their side. Women are pouring into the station, and Costa's not happy, though Salinger was last seen by a florist in Tribeca. Jess and Trish are on the hunt. They do notice GT Agritech. That's the company whose truck killed Jessica's family. The man at the desk recognizes the woman as Mona Lee, Security tries to stop them, but a quick fight later, they're taken care of. They find Mona, the mechanic? On the street, cops corner Salinger, who's just out for a cup of coffee and ready to call a press conference about police harassment. Good night! He picks up the pieces in his trash department. He strokes his weirdo collection of ants. Back at Agritech, Costa says there's no proof Salinger did anything while out on his walk, but the body from Wappinger Falls is in NYPD custody. Does she... Have anything else in her life besides her job? Jessica walks out surrounded by the scrum of press. The masked woman jumps down and Jessica jumps up with her to the rooftops. Jerry is watching online. These vigilantes are taking over the narrative. Jerry gets a call from the media and throws JJ and the masked woman under the bus. Hogarth and associates will stop them. They will not harbor nor support the illegals. Zaya asks if they're declaring war on superheroes. You bet your butt. Jessica and Trish driving home are a team now, they guess. But what's Salinger's purpose for all of this? Was it to draw out the masked vigilante? In her office, Jessica reviews the footage again. Knock, knock, it's Malcolm. He info shares about knowing Trish's superpowers. He thinks they'll keep each other in check. Will he be unmasking Trish? No, he believes in them. So how will Salinger try and stop where the superhero story started? Jessica intuits it might be with her adopted family, just as Trish goes to see her mother. She's dead, having been knifed repeatedly. Jessica calls. She's on her way. She wants the police to be called. Trish wants revenge. Jessica runs to Salinger's apartment. Things are being thrown out the window, but the police are dazed. Trish is already wielding a knife, ready to strike the final blow to end the episode. What suspects are our focus in this episode? Pete, let's start with Salinger. I mean, listen, killing off a regular on this show, Matt, about as regular as you're going to get without being, you know, in the in the top build uh, cast. Rebecca De Mornay. I mean, Jeremy Bob's always going to have that on his resume now. Yeah, and I like the the kind of cat and mouse games that he plays for most of the episode particularly the notion of hiring a lookalike slipping out the back and then you know later in the episode when he's confronted by the nypd you know just that that 
smarmy misuse of his intellectualism. You know, I could call a press conference right now about police harassment. Yeah, Pete, of all the police harassment going on in the world, it's it's when this guy walks in with a coffee and they say, sir, pardon me, where were you? Because you could just right. say, I was out for a coffee, go fly a kite. Instead, it's got to be, you know, I will end both of your careers by making this a splashy thing on channels two, four, five, nine, seven, and 11. You know, what I can't wait to get to talk about Pete in the theory segment is what are his prospects, you know, uh, about five seconds after this episode ends. Uh, Kilgrave was a horrible villain and we didn't like him, but Tennant made him charismatic and we never wanted to beat him up. Um, Jessica's mother, uh, we feared her strength, but we like her were drawn to her energy, the connection. Um, there's never been a character on this show. I've wanted to help Jessica beat up like Gregory Salinger. As you say, I mean, David Tennant, just by being David Tennant, there was a certain charisma there. And I think, too, with Kilgrave, I don't mean to excuse any of the ill things that he did, which were many and terrible, but insidious, but never the disgusting. (sighs) There was an immorality to Kilgrave. There's an amorality to Salinger. And I think to be amoral, to be purposefully making the decision that the rules don't apply to you versus Kilgrave, who, you know, who, who, who knew he was crossing lines. Like, to me, it's worse when you say, eh, I know there's some sort of social structure there that says good and bad, but I'm not even a part of that because I am superior to it. That's a worse by which I mean better in terms of a narrative sense, but that's a worse person, better villain, and a scarier villain, whether you're in the story or looking at it from the outside the way we are. And one who's been baited, and I want to believe he changed his plan. He was going to kill again, and then it was, well, now I'm going to take somebody close to you because I've put the pieces together about Trish, and um, you broke my things, yeah, that scene where he's playing with the broken ant farm. I mean, Pete, look, I don't know what adult people who have ant farms, I don't know what that looks like as a it's hobby. It's a worm farm, isn't it? W- worm farm, ant farm. Pete. All I know is it was a box of bugs, okay? Uh, I had one of those when I was like seven, and it was cool. It came, you know, in like the... I'm sure it was what many people had. I guess it was mail order ants or whatever. And it was cool for, you know, like four or five weeks. And then it was like, all right, we're going to take the top off and let the ants go free. To have one of those as an adult, I've never seen that before. I've never considered that that could be a thing. I'm sure if we search online, there's people who, Pete, here's the latest technology in worm enclosures and worm heaters and junk like that. But it's a weirdo, weirdo hobby. I get the feeling because of the way he was going about it and where he positioned it, that there might be evidence or something in there, perhaps decomposing uh, remains. Uh, Good news, Pete. There is a video on YouTube, how to make a worm farm under $5. So uh, I guess (laughs) he's not that alone in the world, but um, it's interesting that you read it as 
there could be something important with the capital I in there. To me, it was just like, no, my worms are my friends, and now they're dead, or they whatever, whatever. Like to me, there was something almost. I don't want to say that it was, but almost kind of vaguely sexual. Like here he is, like stroking the dirt and stuff like that. It certainly was weirdly close. I don't think this character has ever had a friend in his natural life. Um, I think he had one, Pete, and they used to they used to play half Wappinger together, and uh, till till one day he he decided that they weren't friends anymore. Pete, speaking of people who certainly it's difficult to be friends with them or even bedtime friends with them is Jerry, who, wow, does she up her vitriolic stance by the end of this episode. I mean, referring to superheroes as their kind, this somebody in a minority position as a gay woman, um, a powerful one at that, I mean... That was really doubling down on the metaphor. You then add to it, you know, they will, uh, they, the, the firm of Hogarth and Associates, they will not harbor nor support these illegal people. Not a direct quote, but harbor and illegal were in there. You know, the show <laughs> certainly trying to paint Jerry in a particularly prescient light. Oh, it's undoubtable. And, uh, that Zaya is helping her, but stopping just short because obviously she's seen the rest of the footage with Malcolm. Um, who knows when push is going to come to shove with that. But, uh, you know, Jerry's having her uh, J. Jonah Jameson moment right now. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete, does Salinger make it five minutes, five seconds into the next episode as a living, living human being? And I say human being very kind of casually about him. I mean, if they wanted the shock factor, they would have done it at the end of that episode and then left us hanging. That they left us hanging, Jessica running toward the camera I'm pretty sure he's still going to be alive. She's going to stop Trish. Um, obviously, there's going to be fallout, and you deal with it from there. It is interesting to see in this episode uh, a continuation of a theme that's been picked up a little bit prior to this episode, which is Jessica so world-weary and kind of so disgusted with her own celebrity and profile and things of that sort that she's she's willing to take off the vigilante hat she's willing towards the end of this episode to call the police that's the instruction that she gives to trish and malcolm picks it up by proxy uh, at least one can assume she's willing to hand this over to the establishment to the man to the popo etc part of it i think is selfish i think part of it too is just realizing this this world of doing good is so much bigger than her and at a certain point handed over to the authorities that's really the refrain of this episode. You know, what does it get her, you know, giving a heck? I've got to edit there for Apple Podcasts. Um, and then, you know, credit Kristen Ritter and the, the shift in her demeanor. I mean, obviously, she's acting as if her best friend's mother has just been murdered. 
Um, but the, we've never seen these tones out of Jessica before. I'll add to that, and I don't want to overstate this, you know, along the lines of, you know, anytime, anytime there's an actress who, for a movie role, puts on 15 pounds, it's like, so brave, so brave. She put on some weight, so brave. But increasingly this season, Jessica, not, not weight gain, but Jessica looks less glamorous than she has in the past. There's even kind of more pathos um, and just kind of looking haggard and beat up. And not even, you know, because there's a cut here or a bruise there, just kind of not looking like she's at a great spot in life. And, you know, the, the, the actress who's playing the title character, you know, certainly could say, no, no, let's put a little more, you know, makeup under the eyes and whatnot. And, and I can act beat up, but you know, I think in the visual presentation, we're seeing that as well. This as, you know, we've not heard any news, Matt, as we're podcasting, but she's due to give birth to her first child any day now. Pete, what theories are on your radar? I have to call the old story baloney on this trope at the beginning of the episode of uh, Costa and losing clout and that it's going to cost him getting the Wappinger Falls body down into his jurisdiction. Is that because it seems that the NYPD is on the tail of a real killer and needs to run down this lead and it seems a little unlikely that in order to go what interview people who were attacked by the masked woman they're going to say, you know what? We're not going to go after a murder anymore. It, it really feels false. I thought that you were going to say, and, and, and this isn't necessarily fully a criticism of mine, but I thought that you were going to say how the episode shows Costa as having this spouse who it's like, I never, why are you not able to balance work and home? Like, don't get me wrong. Fantastic that they want to adopt. Uh, I did not know that um, um, technology, video conferencing would be a, a factor in that, especially if adopting from abroad, although it makes sense. But like, and don't get me wrong, I'm sympathetic with the husband in terms of you need to video chat with this girl, future daughter for the next five minutes, put your phone on silent. But the flip side is, you know, detective in the NYPD, cases come a calling when cases come a calling. It's kind of like the, the nature of the job and why, you know, Hey, after 20 years, you hit that pension, you retire, and you can, you know, put that behind you. And a murderer, no less. You know, you're working on that type of collar. Um, but yeah, I, I have a very hard time believing that, oh, his clout at the station house because his captain's got to send people out for this other super now is going to cost them trying to get this body. I mean, really? Well, hopefully his career and his home life settle down for these remaining episodes. What else you got, Pete? The other one that's in reality very difficult to uh, swallow is this Instayap or their version of Snapchat and the investigations that go on in our world with that. Um, now, we know people in law enforcement. We have listeners in, in law enforcement who have given us the 411 from time to time. I happen to know from law enforcement, um, particularly in light of uh, Snapchat, it is the most often 
uh, investigated form of social media. And most PDs pretty much have them on speed dial. Oh, hey, uh, this is Officer Lafferty at the, uh, you know, coastal New Jersey uh, police department. We need to pull up this Snapchat of this user Yes, we'll get you a court order. Oh, you don't even need one? Great. We'll just pull that up and you'll send that email? Awesome. Great. Thanks. The idea that Instagap is going to play it twice and, you know, swallow it forever and no one will ever be able to get it in 2019 is not a believable thing. I give them credit for attempting to go the social media way. They add some verisimilitude with it, with um, Dorothy's involvement in it and knowing it. I thought that was a good handoff. Um, but the idea that the police couldn't call up the app maker and even float the possibility of a warrant, which normally they don't even need to do. It's just like, all right, give us the name. We'll, we'll email the thing to you. And, and that's the end of the story here's the kicker too it's solved by a one sentence solution can't costa just call them up with a warrant no insta you know insta yap security first okay like i don't know exactly what that means but if it's like if you say oh security first that means you whatever they don't do the the just the phone call or they have this thing you know similar to apple messages where they are locked out and it's only the end-to-end -end people you don't need a big technology solution you could just say you know oh insta app the privacy first no way okay then it's been addressed as opposed to what it is which is they wanted to have a certain story magic box but they didn't want anything going inside it so it's just kind of hand waved as uh, you can't because you can't. And I'll add to that, Pete. Again, I kind of like, as you say, the verisimilitude. It's nice that they're doing this sort of thing and it's a novel presentation. And I guess, Pete, we could have the umbrella of, well, in the MCU, dot, 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 because it's like us, but not, you know, but at the end of the day, it is our world. It's just with these extra things attached to it. Bottom line is this, the fact that it deletes after two, Pete, that lets it happen the first time. <gasps> now it's gone. The second mm -hmm. time, wait, let's use the second play to record it. Right. And, and again, you see that in retrospect. And they're using it to tell the story. But again, how often these are utilized for paraphernalia, drugs, weapons, etc., that are glimpsed in these videos and then suddenly not even needed to be subpoenaed. It's, oh, yeah, we have Snapchat on speed dial. Oh, let's call up Instagram again and our contact there. Yeah, hey, it's, you know, Peter Cadillar at the so-and-so PD. Oh, hey, Officer Cadillar, I'll send that right to you. Like, they have these arrangements in place. Oh, well, Pete, maybe maybe the next time we see this technology, it'll be a little bit more bulletproof. All right. So Dorothy talks about uh, Trish's outfit, brings up cats. Everything on the Internet is cats. The Internet is gaga for cats. I mean, the joke's right there in front of them, Matt. It's catsy. 
Wow, that is fantastic. That is fantastic. I mean, why am I the one? Is does this prove yet again why I need to be in a writer's room or what? Uh, particularly looking back and realizing that we're not going to get an opportunity for that joke again in the future. Um, all the more reason. Yep. I do give the show credit for kind of doing this sort of backward connect the dots. They don't quite want to say Hellcat, but it's like cat, cat theme. Why? It would play well. Where are the internet? Because on the internet, people love cats. It's like true, 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 true. And we've taken the long way around to start to curve back towards Hellcat. That's where Jess has to jump in and say, yeah, Dorothy, you're right. It's catsy. Like I can hear Ritter saying it. Pete, maybe it was maybe it was struck in the writer's room. Maybe it was filmed and didn't make the edit. It was too oh, funny. I need it in my life. Pete, here's what we could do. We could say to our listeners who have some sort of graphic design ability, here's the t-shirt you need to make. Yes. Okay. You have you have Trish's face. New York you Comic have Con. Cat ears. Kind of I cartoonish will wear cat it. ears. It's Catsy. Get it, get it in my hands, please. Matt, Zaya stopped short and didn't give Jerry the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Is this to hold some kind of leverage over Malcolm? I think it's quite the opposite. I think that it's evidence, particularly as the narrative takes Jerry deeper and deeper i know last time we discussed you know uh, defense attorneys how do they defend all awful people i think that as we see jerry going from oh sometimes she gets her hands dirty to you know less and less likable more and more reprehensible also that issue of you know does jerry make it out of the season uh, alive and with her full faculties you know zaya has the makings perhaps of being the good lawyer come the end of the season i quit and i'm taking my boyfriend malcolm with me that sort of thing where we'll get you know hope that there can be particularly pete with that other law firm in new york no longer getting season orders from netflix you know does zaya have that bounce of being the good lawyer uh who, who leaves out of principles even to be a principled defense attorney Maybe that's where we're headed. The mention of her father for the first time in this episode, ex-CIA Matt, felt really particular. It did, and I felt like in the scene, if they were setting up something for future episodes, fine, no problem. If it's a deep comic cut that I'm not getting, fine, no problem. If it's just a thing to balance out malcolm's security discussion and she kind of needs security cred and she's going to do it this way uh you know then you still could have put in in earlier episodes in the episodes where she's over at malcolm's place smooching you know if my dad former cia officer found us who knows where you could end up malcolm there could have been a little story seeding if it was just to get to this point of ta-da i have security cred too we get the name of the chemical uh, truck company, uh, GT Agrochemical, um, obviously some form of agricultural uh, chemical conglomerate. But, you know, it's the first time we've had this name checked linked to Jessica's 
abilities and agrochemical. She's super strong and angry. <laughs> um, it did. It did leave me to be completely honest. Pete left me kind of scratching my head. Like, right. The Jessica Jones backstory, which let's, let's not forget in season one, it's the backstory of, uh, you know, her involvement with Kilgrave and then season two kind of gets into more of that childhood backstory. So it, you know, I forgive my own slightly blurry memory uh, just because it's been presented in a non-chronological fashion. But fine, if GT Agritech is going to be a source of villainy that, you know, from the past, the thing gets brought back to this episode. Eh, you know, it worked, got the job done. It got us to Mona Lee. I will ask this, Pete. Do you think that Mona has ever asked Who's the boss? <laughs> well, I mean, they're not far from uh, that house, which was actually uh, Barbara Bush's family's house up there in uh, Westchester, New York. So, Pete, what you're saying is we can go Mona Lee, Mona from Who's the Boss, the house in Westchester, Westchester, home of Xavier. Uh, Mona Lee basically is an X-Man at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's confirmed that they're bringing it over. Uh, Kevin Feige did it, and he tricked uh, he he tricked uh, Jeff Loeb, who I still have this headcanon of, you know, uh, Kevin Feige. Each time he sees Jeff Loeb, he's like, "Hey, you, what's your name again, there, buddy?" And Jeff Loeb gets all angry and whatnot. But Pete, this is it. They're bringing them together. It was nice to see Tammy Wallace. Again, uh, you know, she's no Turk Barrett. And if we don't get Turk Barrett in this season, we will riot. OK, um, she's no Brett Mahoney, but she is the female equivalent of said characters in the uh, Defenders Marvel Netflix universe. Um, but she made an error here. She talked about, you know, she's correcting um jessica several times alleged and and that's all understood okay but talks about no proof when videos have been watched have been saved and get watched again later what do you mean there's no proof it did it felt slightly like we we, we could have used a line which would have been too melodramatic let me say right at the gate but we could have used a line like don't you know that, uh, you know, my TV station is owned by blah, 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 the dean Not of blah, 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 just like some sort of connection where like you kind of get the sense like, ooh, she's kind of getting a little pressure here to to, you know, take the story to, to, to delegitimize the story. Um Eh, was that maybe just the purpose of the scene? Uh, okay, there's that too. All I know is this, Pete, bottom line, it was a treat to see actress Tijuana Ricks back here playing Tembi Wallace for, if my math is correct, the 11th time. That's right. She's been in more episodes than some of your your series leads in other Marvel Netflix outings. I mean, it's great that she's been able to appear across all these different shows that we come to recognize her that that she's the face of tv media in the uh the marvel cinematic universe when you when you think about it absolutely pete where's our web only spinoff uh talking with tembi 
<laughs> bring it, Matt. If only Tembi had the army of supporters like Fantastic Geek does. Indeed, Pete. That's probably the difference maker there. She's doing sit-down interviews, and here we are, Pete. We're able to talk about this stuff because of the people who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek, making sure that, uh, Pete, we are not live, so when people say bleep and bleep, we can bleep it out. And forget traditional sponsors, Matt, when we have fake ones and we have people who choose how much they want to contribute. All it takes is a dollar to get you in the door, and you're helping keep old Fantastic Geek afloat. All sorts of perks there, but the best perk, Pete, that's always free. That's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,571 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the PH. Like it today. Pete, I am looking forward to discussing the next episode of Jessica Jones. It'll be Wednesday of this upcoming week. And I feel like just like that, here we are. We're not quite maybe narratively in the final stretch but in our time talking about jessica jones and our time talking about marvel netflix you know here we are with just literally a handful of episodes to go with that pete i will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word i'm on my state law mandated break 